President Trump is being impeached. Wait, wait, he's still in the news? Yes, he is. A nightmare on Elm Street, part 67 for the Democrats. He's back. Well, McKenzie and I unpack this impeachment trial from is it constitutional to remove someone from office who has already put a mail forwarding address to his new home in Florida to this is all going to end with the 2024 presidential election being decided by the House of Representatives. Confused? Well, then listen up, and we'll make it muddier. Plus, the Super Bowl is this weekend. Who can concentrate on anything when the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the best quarterback ever, is facing Tampa Bay? I mean, we unpack all of this, and plus, we will cover a lawyer who produced a porn film with inmates in a jail. Turns out, charging his clients at three times the going rate wasn't the only way he was, oh wait, yeah, keeping this family friendly. All right, well, all of this in this week's Debriefing of the Law. Well, welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I'm Mackenzie Smith. And this week, we have a lot to unpack, uh, as I was telling McKenzie, pre-production, that it's awfully hard to work this week. I I am so distracted. The Super Bowl is coming up, and I just find it hard to find motivation to work. McKenzie, are you suffering from the same kind of lack of motivation to focus on important things? Um, no, (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I won't say like I couldn't care less about the Super Bowl, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. What time does it start? Like 630 Eastern? Like I'm not, I don't think I'm going to make it much past halftime. <laughs> I'm hitting the delete button right now. You're not, you are going to watch the entire thing. That is what you, is your obligation as an American to watch the entire Super Bowl commercials and all. Uh, no. That, so, so do you normally watch the entire game or do you normally kind of skip out around, around halftime? Um, well, it depends. It depends on, you know, how closely I've been following the season, obviously who's playing. But I will tell you something that doesn't change year to year. My favorite part of the Super Bowl always is <laughs> the national anthem. Okay. I am a big singer alonger. I really get like into it. I'm a big fan of the national anthem. Um and so I like to, you know, see who's performing, see what their style is. I like to rate people year to year. No one yes. will ever top Whitney in 1991. Like I get choked up listening to that. She was so amazing. You were, you were alive in 1991, huh? <laughs> I was alive, but it's on okay, YouTube. Good. So you can watch it every day if you want. That was going to be my next question. I I remembered I had just graduated from high school. I think you graduated from preschool. I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, it was a very significant national anthem. Uh, I, I do love the national anthem. Now, if you were at home, would you take your hat off when the national anthem is being played? I mean, I'm not like a big hat person, but yeah, okay. I do. I mean, it's just, I guess, force of habit. Like I can't, if, if the national anthem is playing and I'm, like, in a conversation or, like, at a house party back when we used to have those things before COVID. Yes, yes. Like, I am the type of person where, like, I will stop what I'm doing until it's over. And at least, like, even if I'm in public, I usually sing along, which is, like, okay. really terrible for everybody else who's present. Because I sound like one of those howler monkeys, like, at the zoo. I'm no, not a you're a senior. I'm horrible. I'm I horrible. thought you were, you know, so you were your classic pianist. 
but you can't sing. I cannot sing, um, okay. but I love to sing. So I'll, no. I'll sing, and I don't have any like shame or self awareness when it comes to it. Like That's I don't right. care. You so know what? it's what you know, is I'll in the anyway. heart. It is yes. what is in the heart that matters. You have joy. You sing to the top of your lungs. That's what I keep telling my wife. I keep singing, I am dreaming of a white Christmas all year long because it's the joy that's in my heart trying to get out. Now, I will say, I would. I don't want to be shot by the people who are very patriotic because I, I consider myself a very patriotic person. I would not be opposed to changing the national anthem. I'm just going to throw it out there. I have been told by those who know how to sing, because I don't know how to sing, so it's pointless coming from me, but those who know how to sing say it is a really hard song to sing. The range of the national anthem is incredible, so your average singer can't really sing it. If you listen to the other countries' national anthems, they're all dummied down, a much shorter range, easier to sing. But I'll tell you, if you don't start the national anthem in the right octave, you're hosed by the end. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I think about it all the time because, you know, like Whitney, I want to hit that high note at the end (laughs) there. And like Mariah Carey, even jump up an octave for added dramatic effect. And it's, you know, I mean, glasses shatter and people run away cowering when I try to do it. But I think, I don't think it should change. I think it's such a beautiful and powerful song. And there, you know, I don't know. I like the fact that it's hard. Like only great singers can sing it right. And it's extra special when they do, I think. Yes. Now, are you at the school where you don't mess with the national anthem? Uh, As far as ad limbing, scat singing, things like that. You know, all these singers want to add their own flair to it. Or are you kind of just a traditional gal? Let's just sing it the way God meant it when God wrote it. (laughs) I think Francis Scott Key wrote it. Oh, okay. Well, you know. Or the lyrics, at least. It was a poem, right? So. Yes. Whatever. But, you know, I, I don't feel strongly either way. I think there's a way to you know, add your own personal touch and still be totally like respectful and true to the feeling. I think, you know, if it's totally superfluous and you're just trying to show off, like that's not really like the the thing that's so great about Whitney's performance. I mean, her voice, obviously, but like when Whitney performed that national anthem in 1991, she is up there in a white track suit and a headband. Like she's not trying to be flashy. She's not trying to be sexy. It's not about her. It's about the music. So that's what I, I love so much. It's like, it doesn't, it's not about me, even though I'm the greatest singer on the face of planet earth right now, I can kind of subordinate myself to the importance of this moment musically. And that's so great. So I think if, if people do it like that, like boys to men is a great example. Okay. When they did their national anthem, man, you're old school. What's that? You are old school today. I love it. From Philly. So when they did their (laughs) national anthem a few years ago, like it was in the boys to men acapella style, which is different from what you normally hear, but it was like awesome. It was great. And it was solemn and it was awesome. So, you know, I think there's a way to do it. We are talking about the Super Bowl because it is coming up. It is the biggest news in America, if not the world, though that might be an America centric view of things. But nonetheless, uh, that means. You, there's going to be a betting line on it. And so what do you, what is your betting line on the national anthem? Uh, how many um, athletes are, are going to kneel for the national anthem? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't even know. Like that's something where I don't know what their coaches have told them. I don't know what the current like 
school of thought is in the NFL about this. It seems like such a faraway issue. Like, it seems like, oh, those were simpler times when, like, that's yes. what people were worked up about, right? Like, I, I mean, look, my personal feeling is... I know, I think I'm pretty well informed about the whole story about how the kneeling started. And, like, I'm, like, a huge supporter of people's right to, like, respectfully and peacefully protest okay. anything, like, whatever they want. And I don't personally, like, I have not served in the military, so I don't have that perspective. And I respect people's opinions for sure, but I, I don't see anything disrespectful to our armed services about it. I see it as, you know, people trying to take a public uh, stage that they have and draw attention to an issue that they think really needs attention in our country right, right. now. And, you know, it was a compromise and a, and a I think a Marine's suggestion um, to Colin Kaepernick of a way to express that protest while also being respectful. So right. I don't, I'm kind of confused as to why people are still offended by it because that was like the compromise well, of here's how we can express well, this, you know, well, and let be me respectful. tell you why people are upset by it. <laughs> okay, and good. since you did ask, I wasn't going to go there, but since it is now on the table, let me tell you, it's because I was there when Colin Kaepernick started it. I was following it closely his purpose in kneeling was not the purpose that's being alleged now. Go back and Google it. See what he actually said. The way it's being um, uh, pictured now or portrayed now is, oh, it's a, against unnecessary police brutality. That is a great message. We need to endorse that message. That is something worth kneeling on to bring attention to that issue of unnecessary police brutality. Yes, we all agree with that. Absolutely. That was not Kaepernick's original message. Go ahead and Google what he actually said at the very beginning. He could not stand America. He thought America was a horrible place, and he could not stand and respect America. That's why he chose to kneel at the beginning, and that is what I cannot agree with. I am all in favor of saying, yes, let's um, uh, let's bring attention to a good cause. Uh, let's end police brutality. Uh, that's uh, It's a great cause. But not respecting America and the freedoms that it, that it was founded upon, and that is the greatest. We, I believe we're the greatest country in the history of mankind. I believe that our democratic free speech principles are what has allowed for wrongs to be righted in subsequent generations. Free speech is what allows for these debates to happen. And so the people who died for these rights... I got to tell you, I, I, I am so thankful for that. Well, nonetheless, let's get to the real important issue here uh, of our for today. Obviously, these are very important issues, but I want to talk about the Super Bowl. All right. So Perfect. it's a huge, huge game here. We got the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this is God's favorite team uh, going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I know you've been following this. You've been doing your research and and now it's time to make our picks. And this is not a surprise to you. You knew that I was going to ask you this. Who are you picking in this year's Super Bowl straight up? Now, the line is three points. So the Chiefs are favored by three. But who do you think is going to win? I didn't even know that. But, you know, we kind of touched on this last week, and I don't think I've changed mostly because I haven't paid any attention to this this right. week. But I think I can't bet against Tom Brady. I feel like he is just going to do it again and and – just solidify his legacy even more than it already was and prove that it's him and not Bill Belichick that was the real rainmaker for the past, you know, 
gosh, I don't know, 20 years at this point. And I just think this is going to be it for him. So See, that's, that's why my I like, prediction. That's why I like you, Mackenzie. You know how to respect your elders. And so yeah. uh, you are giving some credence to Grandpa Tom. And so that's really good of you. I appreciate You must be an AARP lobbyist. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he actually said now he wants to play past the age of 45. And because his skills are not diminishing, he very well might be the first 50-year-old quarterback playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, so you're, look, you're, if that's like what old age, you know, looks like, I, I, you got to respect that. I mean, he's doing better than most people in their 20s physically. Yeah, so no kidding. You can't, I mean, you got to kind of respect that. Now, the big topic going around the football circles today is the GOAT, right? Who is the GOAT? Now, I'm just curious to you as a quasi kind of maybe yes, maybe no football fan watches it too because her husband has it on. I'm just suggesting. I've heard you say that in the past. Not trying to be sexist here, but um, do, what does the GOAT mean anything to you? Does that phrase GOAT Greatest of all time. That's what I understand it to mean. Right. And and right now, everyone is saying Tom Brady is the GOAT. So let me just ask you this, because I'm just curious from from your perspective as the kind of football fan that you are, do you think the GOAT is someone who is is a career achievement award? In other words, you are the greatest you've accomplished the most statistically over your career, or is it you are the best football player ever to play, such that if we were going to form a team of the best players to win on one given Sunday, and we can pick anyone from their prime, you are the best player. So do you see the two different approaches to the GOAT? Which one do you think best embodies the term GOAT? Um, That's a really good question, and I feel like it's it's almost difficult to answer either way because I think standards of well statistical achievements and standards of athleticism have evolved over time right. so like in you know distance running for example like the two-hour marathon was just broken within the past right. couple of years but the those early marathoners like you can't say that they weren't like some of the most phenomenal athletes who have ever lived, at least in terms of distance running. So it's it's hard. Like you wouldn't, you know what I mean? And, and people have right. this debate all the time about like Serena Williams and how amazing she is. And she's the GOAT in terms of women's singles tennis, like almost indisputably. And then you always get someone that's like, well, if you put her against the 200th man, <laughs> right. she would lose. And it's like, well, no duh. <laughs> well, if you put the 200th man on, you know, and said, okay, give birth, like he would lose. Like you're, you're comparing. Right. <laughs> That but is you, true. Serena so Williams did win. it depends on the win. standards, too, that you're comparing the person against, you know? Serena, Serena Williams did win her last major, I believe it's the Australian Open, uh, illegally, I think, because it was actually a doubles team. She was pregnant at the time, and so it was her and her unborn <laughs> child playing, and she won the Grand Slam as a pregnant lady. So, yeah. So, you know what? She uh, sure did, and I think she was about 10 or, 10 or 12 weeks pregnant at the time, and I... 
can tell you if she was half as sick as I was at that point in my pregnancies, like I bow down to, I mean, I I couldn't do more than like eat a container of low mean every day when I was 10 weeks pregnant. (laughs) So like the fact that she could even get out, peel herself out of bed is like astounding to me. And this is coming from someone like I'm no, you know, I I ran a marathon. Like I'm not like a lazy person, but it's, it's incredible to, to be able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there are a lot of professional football players, you know, back in the the day, in the early years, who did a lot as well and were just as important to the advancement of the sport. So it's, it's really hard. You have to have some kind of objective standard. And I'm sure there is a set of standards according to which Tom Brady is the GOAT. But I don't know if it's every set of standards. It is purposely subjective such that you can put in your own definition. And that's why it's so much fun to debate. I've been gripped with this concept of GOAT because everyone says Tom Brady's the GOAT. Unquestionably, Tom Brady's the GOAT. I'm like, hold on a second there, buddy. No, no, he is not the GOAT. You, <laughs> how do you define GOAT? Is it the career length? Oh, yeah, he's a goat there because he is a a medical marvel how healthy he has been for so long. I'll give you that. But as far as the best quarterback to win on any given Sunday, no, I'll take Joe Montana any day of the week over over Tom Brady. Now, Joe Montana played in a different era when um, quarterback could be hit. Now, if you even get within... Uh, five feet of the quarterback or you don't pull the flag, then they're going to throw a penalty on you and kick you out of the league. But in Joe Montana's day, they can knock you in the head and then not even blow the whistle. So it was a much different era in Joe Montana's day. But look at his Super Bowl numbers. Joe Montana. Do you know who Joe Montana is? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, like I'll, I know of him. Yeah. I know the name. Keep, his numbers are his quarterback rating during the Super Bowl. He was 4-0, never lost. His rating was 122. I think he had about nine touchdowns. Uh, I'll have to double-check that. Zero interceptions in his entire career as a, as a Super Bowl quarterback. Meanwhile, Tom Brady... Not only has he lost three times, he should have lost three more times if it were just up to him. Uh, it was the boneheaded, complete brain fart by the opposing side <laughs> that allowed for those other three wins. Uh, and, of course, the cheating from his own coach. But nonetheless, his Q- QBR and the Super Bowl was about a 94 or a 96, well below Montana. And so for people, when people say that Tom Brady's unquestionably the GOAT, I got to say, under what understanding of goat is uh, maybe the one who likes to eat grass and baw? Maybe that's a sheep. <laughs> I don't know, but you get the idea. I'm no, all I do, up and it has. It. I mean, football is interesting too because I don't know that much about all kinds of different professional sports. But like, you're, what division you're in matters a lot. It's huge. So like the fact that they were in a division, that the Patriots were in a division that was terrible for so long, except for them, like they also made it to the playoffs way more times than a comparable team in a more competitive division would have. So just statistically speaking, they had a better chance. You know what I mean? So it's I, I do understand that as well. I think like in my mind, I feel like it's an interesting Super Bowl this year because it's a really phenomenal long-standing quarterback athlete versus a really phenomenal up-and-coming quarterback. And then, of course, like you don't want to ignore the rest of the teams, which are fantastic as well. So it's, you know, it's just a, I can respect and enjoy anything that is, you know, a, a feat of athleticism. And I see this as that. So 
I'm, I'm right. into it. I mean, I'm, you know, will I fall asleep during the game? Yeah. I mean, I, pro- no. I probably will. The over under on that is it's a much bigger spread than three points. So, oh my goodness. I'm giving you my <laughs> prediction right here. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And here's my prediction it's going to be a blowout. I, I think we're going to go back to the 80s and 90s when the NFC was blowing out the AFC. We had all kinds of blowouts in the Super Bowls. I think the same thing is going to happen here, but it's going to be the Chiefs blowing out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to go 38-21. to uh, Mahomes is going to be on fire from the beginning here. The Chiefs have a lot more Super Bowl experience than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I believe they only have two players with Super Bowl experience. Of course, it's the big two. It's Tom Brady. Obviously, he has a ton of Super Bowl experience, but really no one else. And so I think the Chiefs are going to be up to this task. I think they're going to get uh, up early, and then it's just going to pile on uh, later on. But then again, I'm a homer, and so what else would you expect uh, from me? Well, well, I won't we be are- missing much according to your prediction then. I can go to bed at 8.30 and you know not really miss any excitement. But my real question for you is, do you eat Kansas City barbecue dur- like during the Super Bowl, like, are you planning on getting barbecue? And is it really as good as they say? Because I've never it, had Kansas City barbecue, and it's one of my, you know, culinary bucket list items. Yes, absolutely. When you guys come to Kansas City, we will treat you to the best barbecue you've ever had. Now, we have our own smoker here. So we that's one thing. We talk about Kansas City barbecue. A lot of us here in Kansas City we do our own barbecue. We I have probably three smokers uh, that I use, and uh, and so we smoke our brisket, we smoke pulled pork, ribs, uh, and chicken wings. And so um, I will be smoking uh, probably three dozen wings for this upcoming weekend. Also, we'll grill some wings as well. And then I have my baked beans, which we have smoked brisket in them. So, yes, we are going to have our Kansas City barbecue. Uh, we we are not going to be a, uh, uh, not a, ignoring Fauci's request not to have a Super Bowl party. We're just going to keep it in the family, but we have a big family, and everyone's had COVID. So we're all good. <laughs> no one's going to get COVID. We've all had it, and so uh, we should be good there. Well, we're talking about the goat, and I'm I'm going down this whole series of um of what it means to um be a you know, the goat in football, but then also in other areas of life. And so we're talking, and I'm actually pursuing this as a as a podcasting subject and things like that. Well, let's talk about the what many people consider the goat of uh, presidents, President Donald Trump. I know he's probably your preferred uh, goat of all time for greatest presidents. Am I misstating your your position a little bit? I can't respond. I'm like having a seizure. (laughs) Well, I think you probably fit in that category of those saying, what we, why stop at two impeachments? We can do three or four. And so (laughs) we are near, let's talk, impeachment is next week, a big item, obviously in the legal news. And so let's, let's unpack it. What are your thoughts as we face this second impeachment of Don? Is is it Donald J. Trump? Is his middle name J? Yes. All right, that's what I thought. I have no idea what that stands for. Let's hope not Joel. But nonetheless, I think, I think um, it's John. John, I don't know. Right, why do I know this? I don't know. Because you consider him the goat. Now, I don't, I'm not going to say on which end of the spectrum it might be the goat as being the worst. He's Are the you? best worst president. I don't know. We'll leave that for another day. But uh, the impeachment is big news next week. Are you excited about it? Are you uh, are you thinking, oh, this is just tired? Why do we got to go through this? What is your take on the impeachment trial next week? Well, excited probably isn't the right word. Um, exhausted, maybe. You know, it's – I don't have, like, good – 
positive feelings about it. Um, and I'll tell you why. I think substantively, there's certainly a viable claim here, as we would say, in my area of the law. But I think procedurally, um, it's very unclear as to whether this is even something that can and should happen under the Constitution. So right. I think a lot of the trial is going to be devoted to, you know, when people um, are charged with a crime or you, you watch a true crime show and you hear someone say, well, they got off on a technicality. I mean, right, I think right. that might, there's a very real possibility, if not probability, that that's going to happen here. And that is going to leave a lot of people dissatisfied and feeling like it was a waste of time. And then I think practically, so you have like the substantive, the procedural, and then the practical. So <laughs> practically, I feel like it's a lose-lose for Democrats. And I'll tell you why. Because what? if they succeed in convicting Trump, there's right. going to be a huge backlash, I think, and it's going to kind of further embolden and aggravate, like, the extreme right. wing of the other side. And then if they're not successful, then that can be used against them. And theoretically, Trump could use that as fodder to run again. So I don't see how there's, like, a, a good outcome here. Yes. Um, and although, you know, I, I did read... The answer that Trump's lawyers filed in the Senate, like the, the right. answer to the quote unquote complaint. And I did, you know, I think there are substantive, like substantively, I think he would lose or I could argue with a straight face that he should lose. I think procedurally it's so murky and so unclear. And in those kinds of situations, as an attorney, you really have to ask yourself, like, what kind of precedent do I even want to risk right. creating here? Right. So it's it's and we can break it down. But I, I just my overall impression is like, I, I really don't see how this ends well for anybody. Uh, let, me, let me just start here by saying something, reminding you of something which might be very troubling to you. And I, I hate to do this. because I know how prideful you are. But <laughs> um, I, I want to just say something here. We actually talked talked about this a, a few weeks ago. Did you remember that on our podcast? I, think I it was do. About a month ago or so. And we made some predictions about this uh, impeachment process. Do, do you remember that? Uh, yes. Yeah. And we made some conclusions. And, <laughs> and so let me go ahead and tell you, and here's what, what I'm getting at. You have the making of a Donald J. Trump impeachment lawyer. Uh, and does that bother you at all that you and Trump's legal team think alike when it comes to this? Um, I mean, in what regard? Well, Even a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> let me read for you what his new lawyer, and we know Trump fired his old lawyers within the last week, I think, got some new lawyers on board. But nonetheless, his new lawyer, David uh, Schoen, I think his name, uh, that's how you pronounce his name, he was interviewed by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And this is what he told them. So he did not plan to argue that Trump lost the election because of fraud. A very good thing. I think we were both in agreement. You don't argue that here in the impeachment. You're, you're arguing on the wrong turf. If you're trying to argue fraud in the election, that's not going to be good for you. Uh, and so he said he would instead argue that the trial itself is unconstitutional. 
And I believe you also said that as well. You want to focus on the procedure, that this is not the right procedure uh, to, to um, vindicate these issues. Uh, this is just not the right place or time for it. He also said he'll make the case that his words were protected by the First Amendment and did not incite a riot. Now, I might have got you to go a little bit along with that. I definitely know I was screaming that, that his speech was constitutionally protected, was not inciting a riot. And uh, I think you and I actually made a little bit of a distinction there between his words and some other politicians' words. But nonetheless, I think it sounds pretty similar to what your legal strategy was for the for the president about four weeks ago. So I got to say kudos to you. You had the making of a Donald Trump lawyer. So are you, are you hanging right. up on me now? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, first of all, you know, no one's hiring me, but I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So it, it's funny. It's, it's a funny issue of constitutionality because, you know, what does the constitution actually say about impeachment? It says, Great you know, a, question. a president or, or an official can be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. And then it talks about in article one, it talks about the procedure for impeachment, right? Like the house acts as a prosecutor and indicts, and then it's tried in the Senate, and it says that judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. So the people who are saying that it's not constitutional because he's a private citizen, including his attorneys, that's their primary argument in this case, are saying, look, the Constitution, like, the plain language specifically says, like, the penalty for impeachment or, like, the result of impeachment is removal from office. He's not in office. And they actually go so far as to say, you know, this is an impeachment proceeding against a private citizen and is therefore an illegal bill of attainder, um, which I don't know that I would go that far, but I do totally see the argument. Um, And then the people who are saying, well, you can have an impeachment are basically saying, A, the act occurred while he was still in office. B, there is some, although scant, precedent for uh, not precedent. When you say scant, you mean one case out of 200 plus years where someone was out of office and was impeached. So I would think that's, that's quite scant. I think it's two, but yes, and they weren't presidents. It was some kind of other right. official uh, representatives or something like that. So there is some precedent for it, but and then C is kind of like a policy argument. So if you aren't allowed to impeach a president for something he did while in office, but then the trial occurs after he's in office, then it will kind of create a de facto immunity for his violations of his oath of office during those last few weeks of a term. Let's respond to that. Number one, he would not have immunity because absolutely nothing that happens during the impeachment process is going to replace the criminal action that might happen afterwards. And so uh, if he did incite a riot, that would be a crime. And then he could be pushed, punished for that uh, after the fact. You know, the, the police there in D.C. can go and arrest him and they can bring a charge for inciting a riot. So he does not have immunity uh, for that. And then as far as should he be elected... We're in a democracy, and so, of course, who should decide that? Should the opposition party in the Senate decide that, or should the American public decide that? And so I think that when you have a 
Uh, if you're going to err in, on, in, this, in this regard, err on the side of letting the American public choose who their president should be, not the opposition party in, in, in a House of Congress. Now, here's what I will say. Here's what I think is a fascinating uh, issue. And again, you and I are both, con- now you are, you, you're a lawyer, <laughs> I'm a lawyer, and uh, we both are involved in the Constitution, arguing things in the Constitution. Arguments can be made on both sides. For someone to say emphatically, no, the Constitution allows for uh, an ex-president to be impeached, I would say, no, that, that's your side of it. But there is clearly argument the other way. I mean, impeachment is not removal from office. That is clearly the whole import here. And, uh, and, and that's, if you read the Constitution, that's what it says, removal from office. The failure to hold office in the future is kind of a after effect, but that is not the whole purpose of impeachment. You also just go the other direction. You can say, no, look, it's um, uh, you should not be allowed to impeach people after they've left office uh, because you it only says impeachment of the president and there's only one president at a time and you cannot impeach anyone but the president of the United States. But here's my point, McKenzie. Who gets to decide that? Because arguments can be made on both sides, right? right? Who is going to decide that issue and how will that come up? Well, you know, it's <laughs> I don't know if the procedure like I don't know enough about the internal operating procedures of like impeachment trials in the Senate. Like, obviously, the chief justice surpri- or presides over the trial. So if there are like in a normal trial before you get to the facts of the case, like whether there was incitement or whether, you know, whatever you get to, you can make like motions to dismiss or motions in limine and the judge, the presiding judge would decide those motions. So I don't know in this case, if it's like chief justice Roberts is going to be like, I declare that, you know, you, there's a directed verdict or (laughs) there's a judgment as a matter of law, or if they just kind of try it on the procedure too, and then see what the votes are. Let me go ahead and tell you what's going to happen. That we, actually, we do have some precedent on this. To go back to uh, Andrew Johnson's impeachment uh, in about 1868. And during his impeachment, the Chief Justice, who is presiding over that impeachment trial, because the Constitution says the Chief Justice shall preside over an impeachment of the President. Uh, and in that trial, he made some decisions and the Senate voted to overturn the decisions of the Chief Justice. So who gets to make the final call? It's the Senate by a vote of Whoever has the 51 votes is going to decide that issue for the impeachment trial. All right, so here it's going to be the Senate at the end of the day can always take a vote and say, no, we're going to allow the trial to go forward. So I expect the motion to be made by Trump's lawyers for, for a motion to dismiss. Uh, now, the presiding judge here is not going to be the chief justice. He's already said, I'm sitting back and not going to do this. It's going to be Patrick Leahy who's going to be presiding over this. And so obviously he's not impartial here by any stretch of the <laughs> imagination. But nonetheless, he's going to maybe give his opinion on that. And then it will likely go to vote to the Senate. And the Senate will vote, I assume, 50 to 50, whatever. A tie-breaking vote by the, the, the vice president. And... And the trial will go forward. But if, at first blush, it's going to be the Senate who decides whether or not it is constitutional to impeach a former president. But then here's where I think it's going to be interesting. Let's say Trump actually is uh, is convicted of impeachment. 
All right, so we, they get the votes. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's say it does. Then the consequence is going to be, well, now can he, what's the ramification of this? I mean, he made his argument that is the unconstitutional proceeding. What next? Well, let's, let's fast forward two years. Now Trump wants to run for the, to be the president. He is going to have to get on the ballots. He's going to have to file a motion or a lawsuit that's going to have to be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court as to whether or not he can be a candidate for the president a second or third time around, right? So it will end up in the Supreme Court's lap in two years. How will they rule? Will they say this is a political question? We can't decide it? Well, no. If it's, I think at that point in time, they, they do need to step in and decide that issue. But in my mind, that's how this gets played out two years down the road when Trump tries to run for president again, has to file a motion with his, or a lawsuit with the Supreme Court to allow his name to, to appear on the ballot. Any thoughts on that? I, you know... I completely and wholeheartedly agree with you that like the best the best thing to hap- happen is for the voters to decide who they want to be their president. And I think here what you have is kind of like <laughs> it's hard to express this without without being unclear. So to be clear, like I do not want Donald Trump to be the president now or ever again. Um, However, I do think there's a little bit of, of a panic on the left in terms of like, well, 70 million people did vote for him and we want to ensure that that never happens again and that he can never, you know, threaten to be elected again because it's so scary to us. And it's like, you know, the whole impeachment proceeding is kind of a, a mechanism to nip that in the bud, I guess. But right. by doing that, it has two consequences. Number one, you know, you are essentially kind of disenfranchising, whether constitutionally or not, those people who would otherwise vote for him without. Like if you if you think there's a real problem with the fact that 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, like impeaching him or, or convicting him on the impeachment charge right now is not treating the root cause of that, right? Like there's you have to ask like, but why? Why did 70 million people vote for him? And what is it that they feel that the government otherwise is not listening or not doing right. for them and how do we rectify that through the political process like that's hard and it requires a lot of work and listening to people who don't think like you and it's uncomfortable but like that's the that's the root cause and so by trying to nip it in the bud you're just going to make those people more likely to show up right. and vote for Donald right, Trump right. in the future right and and second like you point out it doesn't nip it in the bud because he can just run again and say, well, I'm going to file a motion to in the Supreme Court. Like, it it's doesn't grant finality to this issue at all. It's not. Nope, it will not. Uh, that is my prediction. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and make another prediction here. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I want to be on the record. So if it does happen, I can point back to this podcast and say, look how smart I was. But... <laughs> That's all this podcast is. It's just a mechanism for us to be like, did you guys see how smart we are? (laughs) Exactly. Because guess what? On the ones that I get wrong, those might find their way to the delete floor. I'm just suggesting they (laughs) might get cut and might not actually uh, uh, stay online. But nonetheless, um, you know that in order to be elected president, you have to get a majority of the votes at the Electoral College, right? 
right. 51%, 270 electoral votes, right? We all know that. Okay, so Trump's going to run again in four years. He's not going to run as a Republican. He's going to run as an independent because Republicans are kind of tired of him, and they're going to vote someone else during the primary. And so Trump is going to run as an independent. Now, he is not going to be your normal independent candidate. Right. I mean, he's not going to he's a former president of the United States. He will get votes and win states. He will get votes in the Electoral College. Therefore, whoever is the leader will not get the necessary 270 votes. And you will see the presidential election in 2024 get thrown to the House of Representatives. Hey, you heard it from me first. I just said it right here. That's what's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I will delete this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Any thoughts before we move on? I mean, that's you know, a little bit unsettling to think about. I, I, at this point in time, like I don't disbelieve anything because these stranger things have happened. Right. So it could, if, if we spend the next four years, not addressing the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people in our country, probably a majority of the country who feel completely disserved by their federal government, uh, yeah, like it's anything's possible, right? And it's not a good thing. Like that's not good for the country. Like nobody in their right mind wants that. Um, But, you know, it's like we said last week, it's like a slow motion car crash that like you can see it happening, but it's almost like you're powerless to kind of stop it. Because I do, let me just say, like, especially from, from my side, I do understand like factually and substantively, like I fully would argue and would submit and believe that what President Trump said, the statements that he made from November 4th until January 6th constituted a violation of his oath of office. Now, I'm not talking about direct criminal incitement. However, when you like in his answer filed by his lawyers in the impeachment case, they say, and I'm quoting, "It, it, it is admitted that after the November election, the 45th president exercised his First Amendment right under the Constitution to express his belief that the election results were suspect, since with very few exceptions, under the convenient guise of COVID-19 pandemic safeguards, state election laws and procedures were changed by local politicians or judges without the necessary approvals from state legislatures. Right. Okay. Like, That That is is the winning argument for the election fraud, right? Not the actual fraud happened after the fact, but before the fact, they changed the rules by not going through those state legislatures. And that actually is a good argument, in my opinion. A hundred percent. However, to quote the late Justice Scalia, in terms of what Trump actually said, that argument is pure applesauce. Like, Trump (laughs) didn't say that. I went back and read all of his tweets after the election, and they're in writing. They're in the record. He said there were ballot dumps. He said there were 60,000 people under 18 who voted in Georgia, and there were dead people (laughs) voting, and Dominion voting machines were switching ballots, and mail-in ballots were being processed illegally and in secret, and people were kicked out of the building in Pittsburgh. But wait a second here. Just pause. So it's okay for in Kaepernick for them to change what actually happened was the original rationale, but it's not okay in Trump's case for them to change the rationale after the fact. I, I see how this game is being played. 
well, number one, Colin Kaepernick's not the president of the United States and did not take a solemn oath to protect and defend the Constitution. And number two, he's not defrauding the American public. Like, he, you can change. Uh, listen, True. I, I, I think that to keep, I'm not going to do the, the what about, but like to keep it to Trump, like saying these demonstrable lies, you actually don't have a First Amendment right to do that, okay? And that's not a valid defense here. And you certainly don't have a First Amendment right to do that without consequence. Like, it can still constitute a violation of your oath of office, and it can constitute a fraud on the American public. And, like, listen, I can go around, I have a right to say, you know, the earth is flat, but that doesn't mean it's a smart thing to say, or it means that I, like, I can say it with impunity and no one can, you know, rebut that or say that I'm an idiot. Like they certainly yeah. can. And and look, the these statements can be long like can perpetrate long-lasting damage. Like if you're a parent of a young girl and you tell your daughter every day, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. That's my belief. I have a first amendment right to say that. Well, of course you do, but you're also a terrible person and you're inflicting like long lasting and really deep seated damage on this person, which, you know, maybe is like a drastic analogy, but in some ways is, is what he did here. Now, I and I, I, I think I, I think I said this before, but in case I have not said it before, I am not in favor of Trump running again. I'm very happy that he is no longer the president for a lot of different reasons. I think he is divisive. I am a conservative Republican, and I, I want to move on to uh, Nikki Haley or, or Michael Pence. But, but nonetheless, um, I, I don't think that in Trump's mind on that fateful day of January 6th, whenever this happened. He actually had in his mind what actually ended up happening. I mean, I I can't believe that he thought by me saying these words, people are going to march over to the the Capitol building and we're going to have people running through the halls, carrying lecterns and and killing people. I I don't believe he thought that. I think he's so egocentric that he never even imagined what could happen. He didn't care. He was going to say his piece. It's all about Donald J. Trump. But in order to win some kind of incitement, don't, incitement charge, don't you have to get inside his mind and actually prove that he kind of knew that was going to happen? I mean, in a criminal case, for sure. In an impeachment trial, you know, I don't know. And that's a, a good point. And I think I brought that up in a prior episode that kind of reflects my disappointment with the way that the article of impeachment was drafted because I see the actual, like— uh, violation of the oath of office as the fraud on the American people, not direct incitement or maybe both. Um, But the the whole two month history of the lies was not in the I mean, I guess it was tangentially mentioned in the article, but it wasn't a basis. It wasn't like a cause of action. Um, So that's you know, I think there is a distinction there. And I don't I mean, look, I'm the last person who can tell you what goes on in Donald J. Trump's mind. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I want to know. Um, But I think, you know, these are all really good questions and they're complicated questions and they don't have a clear constitutional answer. But I think we both kind of agree that there's not like a real positive outcome here in terms of unity. And, you know, it's not like if, if on the off chance that Trump is convicted, in the trial, it's not like the 70 million people who voted for him will just be like, oh my gosh, you know what? I was wrong. (laughs) I see the light now. Like, that's not, 
how human beings work and it's not what's going to happen here. And, you know, we've been talking about how we're going to keep these podcasts to look back in three or four years and say how smart we were. But like, do you know who's right. actually really smart is Alexander Hamilton because 200 and whatever, 50 years ago in one of the Federalist papers, I think he stated that impeachment trials, quote, will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community and to divide it into parties more or less friendly or inimical to the accused. And like, yes. All right. He, was, <laughs> he knew what he was talking about. He did. He was an idiot when it came to duels, but when it came to impeachment, <laughs> he, he, yeah. had, he had a good handle on that. Well, uh, we're running out of time here, but before we move on to a couple other issues, I, I, I got to know because I'm going to Vegas. I have my Super Bowl bets in, in tow, but I got to know, what are your what is your bet when it comes to the impeachment? Uh, what, what is your prediction? Then I'm going to go to Vegas and, and, and put some good money down on this. I do not think he is going to be convicted. All right. There you go. You heard it right from the expert. He will not be convicted. Uh, I'm going to put here, we have, uh, I'm going to put the over under on number of Republican senators that are going to switch sides. And so I'm going to throw it at four. Will you go over that or under that? Uh, on how many Republican senators are going to vote to convict? I think it's right. I'm going to go under, actually. Um, okay. But I think it's right. You know, it's in that ballpark. All right. All right. So you're going under. Hey, you know what? Oh, come back here in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. We'll see. And we'll see how smart we are. Uh, I will. Um, hey, I, I picked the bet, so I don't know if I have to pick. But since you went under, I'm, I'm going over. No, I'm going under. I'm going way under. I think it's going to be only one or two end up voting to convict. So I'm going to go even lower than that. All right. Uh, in the news also this past week, the U.S. Supreme Court rendered a an Indiana Jones type of decision. The case was Federal Republic of Germany v. Philip. Actually, it's the anti-Indiana Jones decision. This is what this case was about. Uh, back during the World War II era, uh, there was a Jewish... Um, consortium uh, of art dealers, and they they did this uh, art. They collected these art pieces. It was known as the um, uh, I can't even pronounce this word. Do you know what this this uh, the, the this art collection was called? Uh, I don't speak German, but <laughs> let me give my best shot at it. Wolfenschatz. Okay. I was no. going to say Welfenschatz. Yeah. <laughs> I feel and like mine sounds more art, authentic. The article <laughs> I read then said this, known in English as the Gulf Treasure, G-U-E-L-P-H, Treasure. That's not even an English word, so I don't even know why that's the English version of the other one. But nonetheless, let's just move on. And so this is a, a, um, a collection of art that's worth, in today's dollars, $250 million. Well, during that era, uh, the Nazi party forced this Jewish um, consortium of art dealers to sell it to the to uh, Nazi-controlled Prussia for $1.7 million. And so a lawsuit was filed recently by the heirs of these the, the this Jewish consortium saying, look, that wasn't valid. We should have gotten more money from this. And they filed that lawsuit in the United States, and so this case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court over whether you can file this lawsuit against Germany, saying, hey, you owe us back money for robbing us of millions of dollars of what the value of this uh, this uh, art was back in um, you know 1929. We're suing you today in the United States for 200 plus million dollars. Did you have any thoughts on this? Can you sue Germany in the United States? 
Well, apparently not. Um, you know, I guess there is a, a statute, a federal statute, that says you can't sue a foreign government in federal foreign court. Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. Right. and But there are exceptions, one of which is the ex. ex- I don't know the ex something exception, but right, apparently right. this type of claim does not expatriation maybe right. um, exception. This type of claim does not fall into that exception. I guess was the holding of this case. But I, what I think is interesting about it is it's similar to the impeachment trial. It's a case that was dismissed or is going to be dismissed on the quote-unquote technicality, right, like on a procedural issue, and this one, you know, also being a jurisdictional issue. And just like Donald Trump's lawyers are arguing, you know, the Senate doesn't have jurisdiction to try this case and render a judgment against him because he's not in office, and that's, you know, the Constitution says, removed from office— The court in this case said, you know, a court, a federal court in the United States does not have the power to adjudicate, you know, whether the this, you know, consortium of art collectors was defrauded or, you know, sold this art under duress, which, you know, may very well likely be true. Like they're not commenting on the the facts of what actually happened they're just saying like we can't decide we can't even hear those facts right. in court in the united states so it's these cases are actually really interesting in terms of the broader questions of what do courts have the power to who do they have the power to like rule against yeah, so under the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, as the name kind of makes it, you, you, you predict, you can't sue a foreign sovereign in another country. You can't sue Germany in the United States courts. So that's not allowed. Now, the one exception, or one exception is, if what that foreign nation did was a violation of international law. And the argument that was made here was, look, the Nazis, their existence was a violation of international law because of all of the crimes against the Jewish people and the Holocaust and things like that. Um, But the Supreme Court said that might be true, but that's not what this case is about. This case is about uh, one country taking property from their own citizens. That's not a violation of international law. And so we are not going to grant this or recognize this exception here. And that doesn't make sense. I can't imagine Germany saying, okay, United States, thank you. We appreciate your opinion as to what we should do with our own citizens. Now just butt out. And so I don't, I, this is one of these decisions where it just kind of made sense because I'm not sure it would have been followed in, in any regards. All right. Well, that's the, in the Supreme Court news. Not much going on in the Supreme Court. There is a, a case coming up here in a, a few months involving amateurism and, and whether or not the NCAA can cap. Um, benefits that athletes receive. We're going to talk about that at, on another day, but I want to go over some of the more interesting cases that have, that popped up in the news over the last couple of weeks, just to kind of get your take on them. Are you ready, Mackenzie? I'm ready. All right. This first kind of off the wall case was this judge. <laughs> so have you ever, Mackenzie, have you ever been called for jury duty? As, I don't want to answer this question. As a question. private citizen. I haven't. I don't know why. I, I haven't either. I want That's to. That's so weird. Yeah. I, I, under our, our current laws, that if I'm a lawyer here in Kansas, uh, I'm kind of exempted out. Uh, you would think that lawyers should be exempted out because we know more about the process. And so other jurors be looking to us uh, and, uh, you know, for our expertise and an opinion on the matter. So our one vote would, would be a lot more important. 
I would think the one person that have that might have more sway over a lawyer's opinion would be a judge, right? And what happened in this case was a judge was called to serve jury duty in his own case that he was presiding over. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Never. That, I, I can't even imagine. So here's the, the funny thing about it. He tried to get off. Uh, he, he, he called up the... Um, the jury uh, central summoning bureau and say, Hey, look, uh, I am the judge in this case. Uh, you called me for jury duty. I think I should be exempt, accepted out. They sent him a response saying, no, even though you are the judge, you need to contact the presiding judge and deal with it with him. It's like, uh, that's me. I am the presiding judge. And so what's up with this? And they said, oh, whoops. Okay. We recognize that now. And then they went ahead and let him out of jury duty. But I assume you have, that has never come up in one of your cases. That has never come up with one of my, in one of my cases. And while I like appreciate the fact that the judge was trying to like respect the process and call the hotline or whatever, like why wouldn't he just like, he's not going to issue a warrant against himself. So I don't know why he did that, but whatever. I mean, look, I guess we all have to go through the, the motions sometimes. Yes, yes. So, uh, hey, you know, lawyers, unfortunately, we can't or often do not serve on jury duty. We get exempted out. And apparently so do, do judges, especially when it's their <laughs> own uh, case. All right. The second case is really out of left field. A Florida lawyer was disbarred after making a porn film with inmates in jail. Now, I know we have attorney client privilege with our clients. This is taking it way to the extreme. Uh, I assume you've never heard of something like this happening know what the context of this is but why is it always florida like poor florida <laughs> i don't understand here's what this guy did i don't even understand why people can somehow get past the monitors and actually become a, a, a bar member uh don't we have character and fitness at least basic intelligence uh test uh i don't know we should have a better screening process but this is what this guy thought uh and you know when you go to meet your clients in jail you usually can be in a room with that person with no video cameras and no audio recordings going on because your communication is confidential. And so his thought was, okay, if this is going to be confidential, I have opportunity now to make a porn film and he uh, called Girls in Jail. And so what he would do is they would go into this room with him and they would do their filming and then he would put money into their accounts. So they would get money to spend in prison and then he would have his uh, whatever film that he could then make money off of. Yeah, that's not a very good idea. He was busted for it. And does that surprise you? He was disbarred? Um, I feel like that's like the least... Right. Like consequence. I mean, it's unethical and illegal on so many levels. I can't, I don't even know where to start with that one. Like I just, that's a disgrace to the profession. Right. <laughs> and it's like, how did you even become a lawyer? I mean, this person, exactly. that, that thought process and that, that level of um, uh, stupidity is actually a, he qualified as a lawyer. I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, but nonetheless, this last one here, I think is your Not favorite. Not to mention consent issues when the, the other person is literally like not free to leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. In jail. Right, right. That would seem to be a little bit of unequal bargaining uh, power and position. I don't even know how that all how all that works. Maybe one day we can do an actual podcast. On that issue, if people are interested to know, I have no idea how that even goes down. But nonetheless, this last one is kind of on the same subject, a little bit off. I know this is one of your favorite stories of the day. Uh, this <laughs> lawyer decided, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? 
Have you gotten something for your husband for Valentine's Day? Oh my gosh, this is actually a story. So (laughs) my husband lost his wallet maybe like three or four months ago. And being the lovely, you know, kind of, I don't want to say like disorganized, but you know, the kind of like, um, he's busy. Yes. Free spirit. Things on his mind. Exactly. Person that he is, he has not had occasion to get a replacement wallet yet. So okay. his his old wallet that he had forever had a picture of Bill Murray on it. Okay. Um, as as one does. So I thought it would be cute and funny to get him a wallet. I found this um this artisan who could take any photograph and like laser it into a leather wallet. Okay. So I found a photo of myself. Um Nice. And sent it in, and I thought it would be cute and funny to give him a replacement wallet with my photo lasered in. And I got it the other day in the mail, and it's literally, like, it looks like... One of my friends said it looks like a picture of Darth Maul from (laughs) (laughs) Star Wars. Like, every tiny little shadow or, like, wrinkle on my face is, like, lasered (laughs) in so deep that, like, my under-eye bags connect (laughs) with my crow's feet. It just looks like I'm... 97 years old and like the face of evil. Um, so I actually ended up giving it to him and he said it's one of the best gifts he's ever gotten. It made him laugh and he said um, he's going to carry it for the rest of his life. So but what that's is a, he long, tell a long people? way to answer your question. But yes, is, I have. What is he going to tell people in the future uh, that, hey, look at my um, wall that has Darth Maul on the cover or, <laughs> or is he going to say that it's his wife? kind of proud that it's his wife, which I'm a very lucky woman that that's the reaction that he had was he thought it was super funny and unique. Mackenzie, leather wrinkles over time. What were you thinking? It's like getting a tattoo at the age of 20, forgetting you're going to be 80 at some point in time. That's exactly right. That's exactly. It's probably just going to even deteriorate over time and look even worse. But listen, I mean, if the wallet always looks worse than I look in person, then maybe like it'll always be... You know, know a a pleasant surprise when I walk in the door. If it looks worse, just tell people, oh, look, he has a wallet of Bill Murray's picture on it. And so (laughs) you'll be good to go there. Well, uh, this all leads us into this one lawyer who is in, um, uh, he wanted to do his own little marketing thing with Valentine's Day coming up. And so he decided what better way to celebrate the spirit of the moment and the holiday of, of this love holiday by offering up free divorces. So he's doing a contest where he is going to give away a free divorce to whoever wins the, the contest. And so um, are you taking notes? Are you planning on some kind of gimmick like this? Well, what was your thought? So I don't think it's classy. And <laughs> I mean, I would never do such a thing as an attorney, but it it's probably, you know, listen, Divorce can be very expensive, and so maybe in some weird way it's a benefit, you know, to people who would otherwise be out a lot of money. I don't know. It made me (laughs) chuckle. I'm like, really? That's where we are as a society where this is like something someone's doing. I think it's it's in Detroit, right? Like it's – I don't know if that's – free divorces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're in the Detroit area, like FYI, that's so, that's something that's on the table. I actually found this one coupon. And by the way, why would why would you ever go to a lawyer who has coupons in the newspaper? I don't, I don't know. know, but this lawyer had this coupon of buy one divorce, get the next one half off. And it was a real coupon. And so 
you know what? If it works for Costco selling in bulk, why not help you out with your legal practice? And so that's what he did. All right. Well, there you go. That is enough of debriefing of the law. A lot to unpack this week. And next week, we have the impeachment trial to look forward to. I have your prediction on uh, on record. And so, plus the Super Bowl. So watch the Super Bowl, watch the impeachment, and then we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.